Before we open God's word together, let's bow our heads in prayer. Lord God, we're so thankful that we can come into thy presence, into the presence of the one who knows everything, who sees all things, who understands all things, and who one day will make all things right once more. Heavenly Father, we want to lift up in prayer unto thee those that are going through especially uh, difficult times, those that are dealing with things like uh, chronic or terminal diseases, those who have loved ones in those same conditions, and especially those who have loved ones that are outside of the fold of Jesus Christ. Be with them, Heavenly Father, and even those that are perhaps in their last number of hours. Call them unto thyself, uh, much as thou didst uh, extend the grace to our brother Steve Delick from Richmond Hill as well. We ask that thou be with him as well as he has continued health challenges and is now once again in the hospital. Heavenly Father, help us to remember him in prayer as well, that thou will sustain him and keep him and provide for him, heal him if it would be thy will, but that in whatever case that he may continue to honor and glorify thee with as many uh, days or years as he has left, and that he would serve as an example to those who are still sitting on the fence. Dear Lord, be with us now as we would open thy word together and guide our thoughts and hearts this afternoon hour. In Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to turn once again to the book of Genesis for this afternoon's meditation. As I've mentioned before, I've been reading through it on my own, uh, my own private meditation, and there are many things, of course, that we think we know, and then some things that the Lord shows us as we're going through these things once again. I'd like to read from Genesis, the 32nd chapter, Genesis chapter 32. It's a lengthy chapter, so I'm going to begin with the ninth verse. Genesis 32, verse 9. The context for this is the story of Jacob. He's returning from his time that he spent with Laban, where he began a family uh, with the two daughters of Laban, Leah and Rachel. And he's returning now to his homeland, and he's about to face Esau, his brother, that he hasn't seen since he left and who swore would kill him. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, the Lord which saidst unto me, return unto thy country and to thy kindred, and I will deal well with thee. I am not worthy of the least of all thy mercies and of all the truth which thou hast showed unto thy servant. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan, and now I am become two bands. Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. And thou saidst, I will surely do thee good, and make thy seed as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for multitude. And he lodged there that same night, and took of that which came to his hand a present for Esau his brother, two hundred she-goats and twenty he-goats, two hundred ewes and twenty rams, thirty milk camels with their colts, forty kine and ten bulls, twenty she-asses and ten foals. And he delivered them into the hand of his servants, every drove by themselves, and said unto his servants, 
pass over before me and put a space betwixt drove and drove. And he commanded the foremost, saying, When Esau my brother meeteth thee, and asketh thee, saying, Whose art thou, and whither goest thou, and whose are these before thee? Then thou shalt say, They be thy servant Jacob's. It is a present sent unto my lord Esau, and behold, he is coming behind us. And so he commanded he the second and the third and all that followed the drove, saying, On this manner shall ye speak unto Esau when ye find him. And say ye moreover, Behold, thy servant Jacob is behind us. For he said, I will appease him with the present that goeth before me, and afterward I will see his face. Peradventure he will accept of me. So went the present over before him, and himself lodged that night in the company. And he rose up that night, and took his two wives, and his two women servants, and his eleven sons, and passed over the ford Javok. And he sent them, and sent them over the brook, and sent over that he had. <clears throat> and Jacob was left alone. And there wrestled a man with him until the breaking of the day. And when he saw that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for the day breaketh. And he said, I will not let thee go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. And Jacob asked him, and said, Tell me, I pray thee, thy name. And he said, Wherefore is it that thou dost ask after my name? And he blessed him there. And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face, and my life is preserved. And as he passed over Penuel, the sun rose upon him, and he halted upon his thigh. Therefore the children of Israel eat not of the sinew which shrank, which is upon the hollow of the thigh, unto this day, because he touched the hollow of Jacob's thigh in the sinew that shrank. I think we're all pretty familiar with the account of Jacob's life. He was an example of a man who was no good to God by nature, but was made a prince of God by grace. His name was Heel Catcher because he grabbed a hold of his brother's heel when they were being born and came out after him. And that was a good description of his life up until this point. A shrewd, strong, wily man, a student of applied psychology, really. A trickster. Even when you read about his account with his time with Laban, it's interesting to see what happens. It's, he's outdone by his uncle Laban. His, his uncle tricks him, gives him Leah instead of Rachel as his wife. 
But Jacob gets even. Over time, as he works with them, you read the accounts of how he manages the flock and manages to increase his flock while decreasing Laban's flock. And, and he realizes that he's not welcome there anymore, and so he flees. But God was going to bless Jacob. Of course, that blessing was obtained also through trickery. If you remember the story where Isaac figured he was going to die one day, maybe fairly soon, and he wanted to bless his older son Esau, so he gave him instructions to go out into the field and find venison and prepare it in the way he liked it. He liked a good barbecue, I guess. And he, he said, you bring me that food and I'm going to bless you. And of course, Rachel overheard, or not Rachel, Rebecca overheard, and instead had her own plot and had Jacob go in instead, and he was blessed. And Isaac says something really interesting during that. He said, and he will be blessed. He will be blessed. I've blessed him, and he will be blessed. Of course, that was the prophecy all along, that the older was going to serve the younger. And perhaps Isaac realized that this was going to be God's way. But this is the interesting thing about the will of God. The will of God will come to pass. There's nothing that will restrain it. But how it comes to pass, the way in which the blessing comes, that's the interesting part. And I never, I think, fully appreciated that. There's a truth in Scripture. It's very, very clear in the Old Testament. And it's this. Who God will richly bless, he must first break. The man who will be blessed by God must first be broken by God. Think about the different characters in the Old Testament. Isaac, I think the full blessing of God really didn't come until he was finally willing to surrender his will and to take his son up Mount Moriah to perform that sacrifice. After that, God says to him, surely blessing I will bless thee. Not just a little bit. You think I'm going to bless you? I'm going to bless you even more than you can imagine how I'm going to bless you. Moses had to be taken to the backside of the desert, to the land of Midian, to tend sheep for 40 years before God was ready to place him before Pharaoh. Jacob also had to be broken. Joseph received a breaking, as it were, after he was put out of Pharaoh's uh, Potiphar's house and put in Pharaoh's dungeon. And then came the blessing. And the interesting part is the same thing happened with Judah. Judah had to be broken before Joseph in order for that great promise that one day there would come a king from the lion of the tribe of Judah. We want the blessing. But do we want the breaking? That's hard. 
But it's a pattern that I've seen. If you read through the life of Frelich as well, if you read his history, he also experienced a breaking. And perhaps our own aversion to that kind of a, of a breaking, everyone goes through it to a certain degree in their own conversion, I believe. Any true conversion, there will be a breaking involved because the old man must die. And that's not a pleasant thing. That's not an easy thing. It's a difficult thing. To fall on the rock and be broken. The scripture refers to it. But if we would really see the blessing of God, we must also be broken. And I think sometimes maybe it's that aversion to pain, to discomfort, to taking a, a, a road that may be difficult, uncomfortable, that keeps us from the, the experiencing the full blessing of God. I look back over my own life too and I see, you know, there's been things that have been, some things that have been harder than others, and, but still I have not experienced a great degree of hardship. That's one of the things that I remind myself of often when I think I'm going through something that may be a little difficult and I think, yeah, but what about others that have it so much worse than I do? I have nothing to complain about, really. But then I think about that as well and Am I seeking my comfort in other areas? Are there things where God would want to take me out into the desert and touch me in a way that would break me so that he could bless me? Jacob was a changed man after this event. When he went out, from that wrestling match, it said he, he limped, he halted on that thigh, leaned on his staff, probably. A crippled man, as it were, but now a prince with God, one who could stand before Pharaoh, and the one whom even Pharaoh wanted a blessing from, because God had indeed blessed him. The contrast in, in Jacob's life, the things that happened to him as he, as he went this, his, his long, crooked path, really, back home. You know, the first time, Jacob got a blessing through trickery. He tricked his own father, stole the blessing. The birthright he bargained for used his brother's own hunger as a tool, leverage against him, and got the birthright. But that wasn't enough. He wanted the blessing too. The interesting thing was he never got the birthright, at least not during his lifetime. He didn't receive any special portion. He went over with his staff. It says over Jordan to go spend time with Laban. And he came back from there. It was not from his father's inheritance that he received his riches. But the blessing, he finally earned the blessing here with the one he wrestled with. I don't know exactly who this man was. It's simply an angel. Some see in this 
strange messenger, the pre-incarnate Christ. I'm not so sure about that. But definitely a representative of God to the point where Jacob said afterwards, I have seen the face of God and I still live. And he called that place Peniel, the face of God. If you remember, Bethel was the house of God. Because he said, I, I, surely this is the house of God and I knew it not. Jacob was a, there, there isn't much about Jacob before God changed him that really recommends himself to us. Really, a, a casual reading of the story, Esau seems to be the good guy. The guy that Jacob took advantage of. And maybe Esau figured he didn't need the birthright, but he certainly wanted the blessing, and he was tricked out of it. But there was something in Jacob's nature that God saw and he could work with, and that's why he said ahead of time that the, younger, or the older shall serve the younger. There's going to be something in this, in, this, um, in this second son that I'm going to work with. And I think this is the way with God, and this gives me great encouragement too when I think about my own failures and my own mistakes. God chooses imperfect vessels to accomplish his will because that way the glory is God's. So don't think that there's something in your life that disqualifies you from God's grace or that there's something that will hold you back from even doing something great for God. He delights, in fact, in using those vessels that seem to be marred in the making. And it's actually in your breaking that God's glory and blessing is going to show. It's interesting to see how Jacob reacts when he sees Esau coming. His initial instinct is for self-preservation. He sends over everything and he stays at the back. And the first thing that he says in verse 11, he says, Deliver me, I pray thee, from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him, lest he will come and smite me and the mother with the children. Now, women and children first meant something a little different to Jacob, it seems. First, it was about the capital I, himself. But God was going to change that. Something was going to happen in the darkness there. And it's interesting to see that, you know, we talked a little bit in, in CFG about the, the broad and the narrow, the narrow way. And straight is the gate. Narrow is the gate that leads to life. Someone made the observation that uh, there's a, a picture, a depiction of that, of that way in. And the, the gate indeed was narrow. And outside of that gate, there was piles of baggage and wagons full of stuff that couldn't make it through that narrow gate. So it was with Jacob, himself alone with God. As he came over Jordan, now he was going to cross back into that land of promise with nothing. 
And that's the way it is, isn't it? We bring nothing into this world. We can carry nothing out of it. And yet in between, how much scheming and planning and sweat and effort goes into heaping up stuff here when we all know we can't take it with us. That lesson that Jacob was taught that night is such an interesting thing to me to picture these, these two men wrestling in the darkness. And, and as, it, as it comes out, you know, a, a wrestling for mastery, and then it seems like the, the, the stranger wants to leave. He says, let me go. And Jacob says, I won't let you go until you bless me. And then the angel says to him, what is thy name? The same question that was put to him when he stood before his father. He wanted a blessing then, but he tricked his father for it. And his father even asked him, who art thou? He says, I'm your son Esau. Now he owns up to it and he says, no, no, I'm Jacob. I'm the heel catcher. But I still won't let you go until you bless me. You see, faith, if it's going to be real faith, has no back door. Has no, has no escape hatch. It's God or nothing. That's what makes faith so powerful and so pleasing to God. It's not like God is plan A, but we've got a plan B just in case. With Jacob, there was no plan B. His murderous brother was coming to meet him with 400 men. He said, there's no way I'm going to face that brother of mine, knowing what I did to him and knowing the kind of man he is. Without your blessing, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. I remember in my own conversion thinking that, well, it must be because I don't, I don't want God enough. And so there were some, a few times I remember kneeling down uh, beside my bed and praying, God, I'm going to pray until I feel your peace, until I feel like you've saved me. Thinking I could somehow overcome God or wrestle him into submission. Well, I fell asleep on my knees on the side of my bed. I wasn't a very effective wrestler. But that's not the kind of wrestling that Jacob had. Jacob said, I won't let you go unless you bless me. I don't want to let you go unless you bless me. I'm not ready to cross over anything until I know that your blessing's going with me. That's a little different. That's a, don't leave me, God. I have nothing without you. If you leave me, I'm truly alone. So this, this wrestling mattresses went on until the break of day. And as it is with God, it's when we surrender that we actually win. And after his hip was, was his thigh was put out of joint, 
He says, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. The power is ultimately of God. If God wanted to release himself from Jacob, it would have been easy. Nothing could have prevented him. But God wants us, wants us to seek him, wants us to cry out to him, wants us to hold to him. And when we do, we get a new name. His first name was the name of his old nature, but his new name was the name of his new nature. He was going to be a different man from this point. And the place to meet God face to face is to be changed. With that new name came a new nature, a new realization. And now I want you to notice the way that Jacob acts. We didn't read into verse 33, but I'm just going to read a few select verses from here. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, Esau came, and with him 400 men. And he divided the children unto Leah and unto Rachel and unto the two handmaids. And he put the handmaids and their children foremost, and Leah and her children after, and Rachel and Joseph hindermost. And he probably originally intended to put himself last of all. But it says, no, and he passed over before them. Now Jacob goes to the front, as a prince should, in the front. And he passed over before them. Now, think for a moment. When he was there in the darkness, and the man, I don't know how that wrestling match started, but let's just... Let's just think that, you know, maybe the man grabbed, grabbed Jacob. Who do you think Jacob thought that man was? Maybe he thought his brother had caught up with him. I don't know. But in the darkness, he didn't know at first who that was. After, as he wrestled, he realized this man was from God. But the old Jacob, if the old Jacob had met Esau, what would have happened? A fight to the death? I don't know. But now, look how the prince with God behaves. And he passed over before them and bowed himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. And Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. You see, one who has been humbled by God, it's not a stretch now to be humble before any other man. You know, we saw Jacob's anger when Laban uh, uh, caught up with him after he had left from Laban's house. And it says, Jacob chided him, scolded him. What did I do to deserve any of this? If he had met Esau in his unchanged state, I don't know what this meeting would have been like. But a man humbled by God, broken by God, blessed by God, is able to take the lower place in front of anyone. 
doesn't hurt. Abraham did it with Lot, if you remember that. Abraham, the one who was the friend of God, said to his nephew, Lot, you pick, and I'll take whatever you leave. Because he knew that if God was with him and if God blessed, it didn't matter what the choice was. I think that's a good lesson also for our young people, too. You know, the world is a confusing place. Careers, school, relationships even. Do you realize if you are truly broken before God and if he wants to bless you, the particulars of each one of those things don't really matter all that much because when God blesses something, there's nothing that beats that. Nothing. For those that are the successful in this world, that success usually comes with a cost. Read about the lives of Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and uh, pick your billionaire. Sure, lots of money, but at what cost? But godliness with contentment, the Bible says, is great gain. And I have seen those who have lived a blessed life here in spite of the fact that they didn't have a whole lot to hang on to. But they had the blessing of God with them and that was enough. That was enough not only for a good life, but also for a good end, a life without regrets. After their meeting, Esau tries to give back the gift that he's been given. Jacob doesn't accept it. And it's interesting to see what he says. The man who was so grasping in his former life that, that never left a, a penny behind on the table, as it were, says, Esau says to him, I have enough, my brother, keep that thou hast unto thyself. And Jacob said, Nay, I pray thee, if now I have found grace in thy sight, then receive my present at my hand. For therefore I have seen thy face as though I had seen the face of God, and thou wast pleased with me. Take, I pray thee, my blessing that is brought to thee, because God hath dealt graciously with me, and because I have enough. And he urged him, and he took it. Real generosity now from a man who was grasping and stingy. When we have the blessing of God, we don't have to worry about what tomorrow will bring, what will happen down the road. God will provide. And those things that Jacob gave freely to his brother where before he had grasped after that birthright and blessing. It didn't matter so much anymore because the God of Peniel, the God of Bethel, could bless again and provide whatever was lacking. He went over that Jordan with only his staff and he came back with so many. And I think 
In Jacob, we see a lesson that, a lesson that if we would really be blessed by God, if we would really experience God's best, we need to be broken by him and trust him alone. No back doors, no escape hatches, no hedging of our bets, but a simple throwing ourselves out on the, on the grace of God and saying, I will not let thee go unless thou bless me. Then, no matter what happens, no matter who we face, we know that God's promises will come true. He'll provide for us. Jacob knew that. He experienced that in his own life. But it's sad to see that his children had to experience their own breaking in different ways. And I suppose that's the way it is. And that's maybe the way it has to be. No one can do this for us. And even though there was this godly line, it's interesting to see how the promises of God work all the way through. How he takes and, and works with uh, even Judah, who is another one that didn't seem to be too exemplary. I mean, there's some material in his life that will never make it into a Sunday school lesson. But yet God can work with a broken man or a broken woman and bless others and future generations even through them. That's the power of the God that we serve. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. I'd like to read in conclusion a passage from the 35th chapter of Genesis. This episode happened after a very shameful event where uh, Simeon and Levi went in and destroyed a city and Jacob is once again worried for his own life in the sense that he thinks that the inhabitants of the land now are going to destroy him and his family because of what his sons have done. 35, and God said unto Jacob, Arise, go up to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God that appeared unto thee when thou fleddest from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said unto his household, and to all that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you, and be clean, and change your garments, and let us arise and go up to Bethel. And I will make there an altar unto God, who answered me in the day of my distress, and was with me in the way which I went. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand, and all their earrings which there were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. And they journeyed, and the terror of God was upon the cities that were round about them, and they did not pursue after the sons of Jacob. So Jacob came to Luz, which is in the land of Canaan, that is Bethel, he and all the people that were with him, and he built there an altar and called the place El Bethel, because there God appeared unto him when he fled from the face of his brother. Here we see the difference now in this new man, Jacob. In his life, God was something that was added onto events. Bethel, the house of God. 
Penuel, the face of God. But now, now he realizes, you know, when he first went out, the first time he was in Bethel, he made a promise to God, God, if you bring me back to this land, if I, if I can come back safely, I'm going to offer a sacrifice to you, and I'm going to give a tenth of everything that I have. At Peniel, he gave up everything, 100%. There was nothing left with him on that side of the river. And now when he comes back to Bethel for the final time, it's no longer the house of God, but the God of the house of God. That was the important thing. Not so much the location anymore, but the God that he had met. As long as we try to add on God to the back end of whatever we're doing with our life, we'll never experience the full blessing of God. God has to be first. It has to be the God of my life, not my life with God. When we do that, then we truly can be royalty, as it were, prince or princess of God, people of God, different, set apart, special, blessed by God. May the Lord add whatever was lacking to what was said. This concludes our service. Amen.